I am too. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 9, if you would. And we want to spend the next uh, little while talking about what is a missions-minded church. Now, I believe this you already have a missions-minded church. Your pastor is telling me how the budget has grown in the last three or four years, and it's just astronomical what God is doing through you folks. And you know, there's a, I have a message I preach on, um, you know, God will do more through you, you know, he'll do to you. And the idea that, uh, that we are in the hand of God as vessels for God to use, and God wants to do something with us. So many people say, here's what I did for God. I'm not interested in what you've done for God. I'm more interested in what God has done with you. A lot of times we look at it like, you know, I've got God in my hand. I'm going to manipulate, manipulate God. And he's going to answer this prayer, and he's going to do this, and he's going to do that, and he's going to do this, and I'm going to, I'm going to show how great I am because I've, I've been, just a minute now, you know, we are nothing. And uh, we need to just submit ourselves and put ourselves in the hand of God and let him use us. Then he gets the glory, amen? And that's what it's all about. But I'm not going to preach that message this morning. That was a freebie, okay? Matthew 9, 36 to 38. I'll tell you what, if we could just stand. I know we've been sitting for a while, and the brain can only take in what the seat can endure. Amen? And so if we just change just for a moment, I don't want to keep standing long because I, I, don't, I don't like to stand myself much. But uh, Matthew 9, 36, it says, And when he, Jesus, saw the multitudes... He was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. In chapter 10, verse 1, And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Then the twelve are named, and then in verse 5 it says, These twelve Jesus sent forth. Father, we pray your blessing upon the reading and now the preaching of your word, and speak to our hearts, we pray. And may we come today saying, Lord, my heart is wide open. I just want you to teach me something, and you show me something to do, I'll do it. Lord, you could turn the world upside down with that kind of attitude. So help us, I pray, this morning. We love you, Lord. We thank you for using us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much. You may be seated. There are five things I want to give you this morning that I think will be a blessing that will help us to be a, and continue to be a missions-minded church. And each of these has a action. Now, usually there's young people in the service. We don't have many young people here today. But... Um, Oh, yeah, we all, we all, you're young as you think, as you feel, right? There you are. But uh, that's okay, because I know that grown-up folks are just got little kids inside of them. Amen? I still get a little kid inside of me. And you don't realize it until you start talking to people and start talking about crazy things, and they get crazier, and then you say, oh, they're just like me. Isn't that nice? <laughs> but each, each point has an action that will help drive the point home. That'll help you remember. So if you want to do the actions with me, I'd appreciate that. I don't have to stand up here and do this myself, okay? And there's nobody here but us, anyhow, nobody to impress. So let's just have a good time and see what God will do in our hearts and lives. As I studied through the Word of God, I found eight words that talk about the nations or the peoples of the world. I'll give them to you very quickly. 
But there's, I've only found these eight terms are the only ones I've ever found. I've searched the Bible front and back. And if you find some more, you tell me and I'll say I was wrong, okay? Uh, I mean, I'll be more right then. The words families, kindreds, tribes, peoples, lands, countries, nations, and tongues. There you go. That's all eight words. That sums up every people group in the world, all through the Word of God. Now, God wants us to reach the world. I think if we're going to reach the world, we need to find out how Jesus did it. Jesus always is our perfect example, is he not? And here we have an example of five things that Jesus did with his disciples, told them, talked to them about, and that will help us, that give us five things that will help us to follow the example of our master in reaching the world. First of all, we see that when he saw the multitudes, the word saw, you might circle that word in your Bible if you don't mind marking your Bible up a little bit. He saw the multitudes. If we're going to be a missions-minded church, we need to be a seeing church. Put your hands up to your eyes and just go seeing, okay? It won't hurt you, okay? Don't, don't knock your glasses off your face like I did one time, though. So, okay, seeing church. What did he see? He said, the Bible says he saw the multitudes. Now, he was working among the multitudes. Look at verse 35. It says that Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. It says he went, he taught, he preached, he healed. He's a very busy man. And then we come to verse 36, where it's, you know, sometimes we were so busy, we, and then all of a sudden we realize what we're doing. And he's here to reach, to save that which was lost. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost, Luke 19.10. But the, he says, but, but then we see a little bit of, of the, the nature of Jesus Christ. It says, when he saw the multitudes... He was moved with compassion. We need to be a seeing church. Uh, in, in the song I, I sang earlier, there are over 7 billion people in our world today. At the time that Jesus lived, they, they figure there are somewhere about 150 million. So that means today there are 47 times more people on the face of the earth than there was when Jesus said these words. Amazing, isn't it? If the need was great back then, it's 47 times greater today. <coughs> Jesus tried to reach the people of his generation. The Apostle Paul reached the people of his generation. And we are called upon by God before we die to do our best to reach the people of our generation. So we got to see the need. Oh, the great, the great need out there. There's, there's such a need. There's how many have ever heard of the 1040 window? The 1040 window, a few of us have. <clears throat> Back in 1990, a guy named Lewis Bush coined, he was a missiologist, studied missions. He coined the term 1040 window. It's the, it's the, it's the, if you go latitude, you'll 10 degrees above um, the uh, equator and go to 40, 40 degrees above the equator and just go from, from, you go from west to east, you go from, Africa, all the way across to the Sea of Japan. 
That is called the 1040 window. Now, in that window are five major religions. You have uh, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, Shintoism, Confucianism. Did you hear the word Christianity anywhere there? (coughs) Christianity is very, very low in that area. This is the area of the world that has the least amount of people that have access to Christian literature in the world. A lot of it is because of the governments. You have Islamic governments. You have communist governments. You have Marxist governments that keep people subdued, and the word of God is out in many cases. But God is not bound by governments. Amen? God instituted government, and the Bible says he lifts up one man and he brings down another king, and God is in charge. And listen, the word of God is going forth in all these supposedly closed countries. There are no closed countries to God. Amen? Now, we look at it and say, that's a closed country. That means that Americans can't get visas to go in there and be missionaries. So they go in, like China, they go in and they become teachers. And they teach. Some go in there and they do studies of the people. While they're there, they're sharing the gospel underneath the radar. Amen? And it's wonderful to see what God is doing around the world. But we've got to see the need. We need to be a seeing church. Secondly, it says here, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. We need to be a sensitive church. A sensitive church. Not only be a what? Seeing church, but we need to be a sensitive sensitive church or a sensing church and have a heart. And you know, it's kind of hard to get Christians to have compassion. One of our national pastors said this when he was preaching one day. He says, compassion without action is just sympathy. Think about that. Compassion without action is just sympathy. You can be sympathetic. I'm sympathetic to a lot of people. We hear stuff on the news every single night. People being shot, people being killed, robbed. All kinds of terrible things going on in our world today. And you feel, your heart goes out to people. You're, you're, you feel sympathetic about it. But do we do anything about it? Well, we can't change a lot of people's lives. There's some things we can't do anything about. But we can pray for them, amen? We can love them. And there's a lot of people on the, on the other side of the earth that will never, ever see the course of our life. But what are we going to do? Are we going to just let them die without hearing the gospel? Is that compassion? No, we've got to be compassionate. We've got to do something about it. And Jesus told his disciples something he wanted them to do about it, and then he put them to work to doing it. Look at that in just a moment here. But I'll tell you what, I, I, it's so easy to become hard-hearted and just as selfish, and think about ourselves, and what my life is doing, and, 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 and does this benefit me? And, uh, and, and you know, it's all about me. We, are, we live in the me generation today. Amen? It's all about, no, I'm not taking pictures of you, I'm taking pictures of me, click. And then I've got to post it, so the world can see my picture, like the world really cares. And then I wait for people to respond and say, I like it, I like it, I like it, like, 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 like. I'm important because someone just told me how how nice they like my picture. That's where we live today, folks. It's all about me, me generation. Amen? 
And I'll tell you what, it's easy to get caught up in that, isn't it? Yeah, I, I find myself uh, tempted by that even myself. But listen, it's not about us, it's about others. It's about others and what their need is. We went to uh, Kathmandu, Nepal, where our son is a, is a missionary, and we had just not got, hadn't been there very long, I think it was the next day, and my son said, uh, Dad, Mom, I want to take, uh, we're all going to walk down to the center of Kathmandu, the center of town, this area we're in, and, and Dad, there's this gigantic um, Buddhist temple called a stupa, S-T-U-P-A, and he says, you're not going to believe this place. And so he said, I just want you to see it. Okay. So we walked down through. We saw beggars along the side of the road begging and so forth and people coming up and talking to us and so forth. And finally we got down there and all of a sudden it opened up. There was this gigantic stupa, great gigantic shrine. This, the, the roof goes all the way up to a point. You've seen pictures, I'm sure, in, of, of places like this. But in, in the walls were, were prayer wheels, all hooked up, all the way around, and you can spin a prayer wheel. And on the prayer wheels, they have little prayers that are, are engraved on them. And in some cases, people write their own prayers and stick them on the prayer wheels and turn them around. And the idea is that every time that prayer wheel spins, it sends a prayer out and gives you good karma, good works. And if your good karma outweighs your bad karma then when you are reincarnated into the next life, you may come back as something better, you know, like a, like a cow maybe who is protected, okay? Or maybe as a, a person that's got a lot of money. But if you were a bad person, you'd probably come back as something, you know, like a gnat or something. I don't know. Isn't that a sad, sad state? Listen, this, this reincarnation, folks, is so ridiculous when you think about it because there are no rules to govern it. There's nothing written down about it. If you ask anybody who believes in reincarnation, there's a lot of people in our country who believe in reincarnation. reincarnation. There's a lot of Buddhists and Hindus in our country. I bumped into them now and then. But ask them, how long does this reincarnation have to go on? See, the idea is to reach nirvana, which is their heaven, their idea of heaven, and it's all in the mind, really, basically. And how many times do you have to come back and do this over and over? And how do you know if you, your good outweighs your bad? And how do you, you can ask a hundred questions they have no answers to because it's not based on anything. The Word of God is true. God made every one of us in His image and His likeness, and He died on the cross for our sins to pay the penalty for the bad things we've done. And he gives us everlasting life when we trust his son, Jesus Christ. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, which is far better. That's cut and dried, folks. Amen? Isn't that wonderful to know that? You can know that in your heart. If you're not sure you're saved, if you're not sure you're going to heaven, you need to make sure of that today. Oh, and, and, I, and so I'm, I'm standing there and I'm seeing people spinning the prayer wheels. And then they had a, 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 a Buddha made out of iron that was sitting there in the entranceway, and people were coming up. I saw two young ladies coming up, I'd say early 20s, and they came up and they bowed down and they kissed that idol and they prayed to it. And people were coming and the ladies were coming and putting cloth around its neck and bringing fruits and vegetables and laying it at the feet of this Buddha that had eyes but could not see, ears that could not hear, a mouth that could not speak, a throat that could not talk. And the Bible says, and I... I I just started quoting scripture out of Psalms where it says that they that worship them are like unto them. They're blind. They're deaf. 
And I saw the face of these people coming and they're worshiping that Buddha and getting up and leave and they left with the same expression on their face that they came with. Sadness. No hope. And as I'm filming this, the Lord speaks to my heart and says, Tom, you're just taking pictures, but it doesn't bother you. And I began to weep. And I said, oh God, these people are dying and going to hell. And they're trying to do their best, trying to, trying to do their very best to go to heaven. That's not how they get there. They need the gospel. Well, I wish I could have just started street preaching right then. But I couldn't speak their language. I'd probably been thrown in jail on top of that too. But you know, we had we got that starts with a compassionate heart. You know, I believe if you let God squeeze your heart, you'll leak out your eyes. Compassion. We need to have compassion on the lost people. Oh, and then so we need to have a be a sensing church, have a compassion. Thirdly, thirdly, we need to be a supplicating church or a praying church. A supplicating church. Let's review. First of all, we need to be a what kind of church? seeing church secondly a sensing church thirdly a supplicating church a praying church now notice what jesus says here in verse 38 he says and by the way he's talking about the need he says the harvest truly is plenteous but the laborers are few there's a great need nothing wrong with the harvest the harvest is great the problem is there's not enough people to take the harvest in those of you, especially from the north, who just came down here, you've noticed if you go in inland in a little bit more and get out of the city, you'll see a lot of orange groves. Acres and acres and acres and hundreds and hundreds of acres of orange groves. And then if you keep going over toward the south a little bit more, you'll run into uh, the sugarcane fields and hundreds of acres of sugarcane and standing, you know, 10, 15 feet high. Well, all that's good and nice, but if it stays on the tree or falls off the tree and rots, it's absolutely no good. We need people to pick the fruit. and to sow. That's, a, that's a major thing that, that we do here twice a year is uh, we pick both the, the early and the, and the later crop. Uh, and it's very important to have people there. But Jesus said, we've got a great harvest, but there's few laborers. Now, how do we get laborers? Well, the pastor needs to get up here and just get right with God and get down here and submit yourself to go to the mission field. Is that was how we do it? No. God didn't say preach it. If you want missionaries, the answer is found in verse 38, first word. What does it say? Pray. He told his disciples, we need laborers. Now, I want you guys to do something about this. I want you to pray. Would you pray the Lord of the harvest? It's his harvest. That he will send forth laborers, they're his laborers, into his, it's his harvest. (laughs) Well, isn't that a novel idea? A lot of times, you know, and there's nothing wrong with preaching about surrendering to missions and many young people have gone forward in churches, services, and so forth, and youth, youth programs, and, and said, I want to be a missionary. I want to be, a, they really don't know what they're getting into, but they, they, their desire is there, and some do, and some never make it. But only God can call a missionary to do the work. It's got to be God that does that, because not everybody qualifies some people, you look at you say, that guy's got his act together, that gal's got her act together, she's got money, she dresses nice, got an education, uh, really, you know, great personality. Boy, God, you could really use them. And God says, I'm sorry, I can't use them. Their heart's not right. Then you take some kid who's kind of plain, you know, not one of the big, big ladies on campus. <laughs> Just nobody takes them. 
seriously, but they've got a heart for God, and they're quiet. And God sees that, and he develops them, and he sends them forth and uses them for his glory and honor. Pray. Lord, would you pray? And we, help us to pray that, we'll, that, we'll send, that God will send forth laborers into his harvest. Amen? And that's what my desire. And then as you're praying, pray for your missionaries that are already on the field. My goodness, they have so many needs. And your pastor brought up one of your missionaries and he didn't tell what the need was, but maybe it's a personal thing. But uh, they all have needs. And there's a whole bunch of ways to pray for your missionaries. One of our national pastors in Mexico, Manuel Gomez, uh, was stopped one time as he was going into his, his village. He had just come from another village where he's starting a church, visiting over there. And he came in and there was two cars stopped in front of him and in front of that was a truck parked across the road blocking traffic and as he pulled up he, uh, very quickly he realized what was going on he says the drug cartels are pulling something here and the truck that was parked across was, was had a drug cartel member in it maybe several guys and one guy jumps out he's got body armor on a mask a radio machine gun and he is ready for war and he comes up to the first, first car, and he orders the guy out of his car. The guy says, no, I don't want to get out of my car. Well, he smashes him in the head with his butt of his rifle, pulls him out, throws him on the ground, takes his car, pulls it up, and parks it in the middle of the road. Comes back to the second car. Our, our brother is the third one okay, in line here. Comes to the second one, didn't hardly even talk to that guy. Just smacked him aside the head drew blood on him, pulled him out of the car, went, pulled his car up and parked it in the middle of the road. He's trying to block the road. He comes back to our brother, Brother Emmanuel Gomez. His wife is sitting next to him. His two little girls in the back, seven and eight years old. He says, get down, get down, get down. I don't want you to see anything. And he's crying out to God, God, what am I going to do? I don't have any way of defending myself or my, my family. And how can I outmaneuver this guy? And he says, Lord, it's just you and me. Well, the man walked up to his car, looked at him through the windshield. He says, our eyes met, and it seemed like a million years, but it was just a second or two. And then the man strangely walked past his vehicle, went to the fourth vehicle, grabbed that guy, pulled him out of his car, pulled his car up, parked in the middle of the road, set all three cars on fire, jumped in his truck, and tore off. And our brother was sitting there saying, what just happened here? He told the story here in America several times I heard it. He said, I always wondered, why did God spare us? He says, I really believe because people were praying for us. When's the best time to pray for your missionaries? You ought to pray when God puts them on your heart. Maybe you have a prayer list. Pray for them with your, through your prayer list. But if you're driving down the road and one of your missionaries jumps into your mind, you, just, you didn't know where it came from, that's probably the Holy Spirit saying, you need to pray for them right now. They're going through something. I don't understand how God uses our prayers when his prayers would be a lot better than ours. But some way, somehow, God's program is that we pray, and when we pray and agree with God on something, He answers those prayers and performs His will on earth. Don't you want to be a part of that? I do. Oh, let's be praying, church. Pray for missionaries, and then pray for your missionaries. Amen? And we need to be a supplicating church. But number four, 
We see here in Matthew chapter 10, verse 5, and you never, 10, verse 1. I never saw this before until I started putting this message together some time ago. But he tells him in verse 38 of the previous evening chapter, pray that for laborers. In chapter 10, verse 1, he calls them to himself. In, chapter, in verse 5, he sends the 12 out. Isn't that interesting? He says, I want you to pray for laborers. And then he says, you 12, come, I want to instruct you. And then he sends them out to preach. <laughs> I don't think that happened overnight. I think it was a process of time. But the idea is still the same. When we pray, God answers prayer. God knows who's, who needs to go. And yet he's depending upon us to partner with him in asking him to send forth laborers into his harvest. Oh, Listen, if we're going to be a a missions-minded church, we need to be a sending church. Amen? Do that with me. We need to be a sending church. If we're going to be a missions-minded church, we need to be, first of all, a what? Seeing church, a sensing church, a supplicating church, a sending church. And it's, it's wonderful to send out missionaries, isn't it? It's wonderful to have a missions conference and say, God, what are you going to do this year? And like you did last year, you did wonderful things last year, but... Last year is not sufficient for this year. Amen? It's a new year. And new opportunities. And new goals. And new aspirations. And God can do more with us this next year because we can be stronger in the Lord than we were last year. We ought to be growing in our faith. Amen? We ought to be a better Christian in 2018 than we were in 2017. I want to be a better Christian. I've got a couple areas in my life I've been asking the Lord to help me to be better in and just do a little bit more for Him. Oh, sending church. And it's a great thing to be a sending church. We had a, uh, there's a church in Lakeland, Florida, a small old church. They probably run about 15 or 20. Last time I was there, and the pastor that was there before was all crippled. He was in his 70s, late 70s, all crippled with arthritis. His hands were like this. When you shook his hand, you just shook his fingers all curled up. He, he'd have to have, get a walker and cut, walk down the front and turn around and sit down in his walker. And that's where he ministered to the people. And he passed away just a few years ago, a couple years ago, I guess now. But I was preaching while he was there. And I'm, I'm preaching on some, I can't remember what it was, but I, I said, Lord, how can I encourage this dear pastor? Because he had such a sweet spirit. He'd spent many years there and didn't seem like he had a lot to show for it. Although they had a uh, fund that they were always raising money, and every month they would send two or three or four hundred dollars to help ministries just for Bibles. That's not counting the other missionaries they supported. Now they supported, they had a lot of a list of a lot of missionaries on their bulletin, but they couldn't support them all. They supported some by finances, and the rest by prayer. Amen. But I, I said, and there was just a few people there that night, and I'm, I'm saying, Lord, what can I do to to encourage this man? Lord gave me an idea. I said, how many missionaries does this church support? And there was a 70, 73 or 4-year-old lady in the back. And she took the bulletin and she turned it over and she starts counting out loud. One, two, three, four, five. I mean, it just, everything stopped. She got down to 20. 21, 22. She got to 30. 31, 32. She got to 30. 30, 31. She got to 40. 41. She stopped about 45. I said, oh, hold it. This little church supports 45 missionaries. 
Oh, we pray for them, but we support the ones we can. But yep, we, we support and we stand behind these people. I said, okay, I want, you to, I want you to just imagine something in your mind. Suppose all your missionaries came home for, to have a meeting here. You'd have to set up chairs in the aisle way. You'd pack the place out. All your missionaries and their families were at home. How, you couldn't fit them in here. I said, let me tell you something. Your influence is greater outside these walls than it is inside these walls. I saw that pastor just kind of brighten up a little bit, you know, and say, well, maybe it's not all lost after all. Oh, listen, you know, a church should not be judged by how many people come in the church. It should be judged by how many people go out of the church. Amen? To serve the Lord. Even in your hometown here. And, be, be, be. and so we need to be a sending church. But then we need to be a supporting church. A supporting church. In chapter 10, verse 9 through 11, and we'll finish up here very shortly here. Jesus tells these 12 to go. He doesn't tell them any other time to do this. This is the only time he tells them this instruction. But notice what he says. Verse 9, provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purses. Don't take any money with you. Nor script for your journey. Script is a bag. Old, the word, old English word for bag. Which we would say luggage today. Okay, that's our bags we carry behind us, our luggage. We stuff our luggage, all, take all kinds of stuff with us. God says, don't take any of that. Neither two coats, one coat's enough. Neither shoes, one set of shoes is enough. Nor yet staves, that's a walking stick that they use to fight off robbers and wild animals. Don't take that with you. He says, uh, and it's whatsoever city or town you enter, inquire who's worthy and there abide till you go. Don't worry about the motel rooms, I'll take care of all that. You know what he was trying to tell his disciples here the first time he sent them out? is that when I send you out to do a work for me, I will take care of you. Amen? Now later on, and we don't have time to all look at this, but I think it's Luke, Luke chapter 22. He says, remember when I sent you out the first time? I said, don't take any of this, don't take any of that. He says, but now, go out and get by a sword. <laughs> take care of yourself, defend yourself, take care of yourself. And, and, and get this and take whatever you want to go. See, that was, this was just the first time he sent them out. They had to teach them some lessons. And the lesson is really strong about faith. Trust in the Lord. We trust the Lord. Missionaries trust the Lord to speak to the people of God to send them to the mission field. And then you have to trust the Lord to put in your pocket where you're supposed to give the missions. It's a faith thing all around, isn't it? It takes faith for the people in the pew to give to the, the work of God, and it takes faith for the missionary to say, okay, I'm going, and if the support drops or goes away, well, God knows about it. I'm just going to stay, stay going. And sometimes missionaries have to come back and, and raise more support and, uh, because they lose it. And churches are always changing and things are happening and so forth. But let's be a supporting church. Amen? Someone once said, your tithe... 10% is the money you owe God. Tithe is the money you owe. Missions is the money you sow. Isn't that good? You see, our 10% belongs to the offering plate. That belongs to God. That keeps the lights burned here. It keeps the pastor paid. keeps the place cleaned and all that kind of thing. That's, that's, what, that's what, how you, you keep the church going. Some people say, well, I'll just throw a, a dollar in the offering. That's tipping God. Amen? <laughs> you can't live off your tips. Totally. And God wants to, so that, that 10%, the Bible says the tithe is the Lord's. You give that to the Lord, that's obedience. 
when you give your missions on top of your tithe, that's service to the Lord. Amen? And then sacrifice as well. Why? So the work of God can go forward. Oh, listen, let's be a missions-minded church. Amen? Let's be more of a missions-minded church. If we're going to be a missions-minded church, we've got to do what? We've got to be a what? Seeing church, a sensing church, supplicating church, a sending church, and a supporting church. Amen?